guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am joined with Joe748, if that's your real name. How's it going, Joe? That's kind of not my real name. <laughs> <laughs> going good. Good. When were you last in a casino? Um, Last or two weekends ago, I think. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I was just, I just needed a place to stay for the night. <laughs> <laughs> how's, how's the buffet? Uh, closed. Oh, like many yeah. of them. Of course. Of course. Yeah. That shows how long it's been since I've been in a casino. No, that's the real pandemic. The closure of all <laughs> buffets nationwide. Oh man. Um, probably a lot better for people's health having those. Yeah. Casinos <laughs> yeah. Closed. yeah. Think of how many lives have been saved actually by closing <laughs> all the buffets across the world. <laughs> oh boy. But there's some Vegas yeah. buffets that are pretty, pretty amazing. I don't know if you've hit them up. I, you know, I'm kind of sad that I haven't been to like a strip buffet because on the strip, I can usually never manage to make it more than an hour or so before yeah. I have to leave. So, yeah. Some some of those off strip buffets are, are, are pretty good, but that's not yeah. why we're here. People don't want to hear about the buffets. Uh, first off, <laughs> you know, if people haven't figured it out, Joe748 is kind of the new unofficial or official co-host of the podcast. Is that okay to say? Yeah. Put um, it on my and, resume. And uh, it's it's coming full circle because you let me know a while ago that when you were a kid, your goal was to be a <laughs> uh, like a talk show host. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 12 so years old, that was the dream. <laughs> and and the modern equivalent is is the podcast host. So. <laughs> BJ podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're not we're not doing uh the podcast on YouTube like Joe Rogan or whatever. People are gonna have to listen because you're not gonna see Joe 748's real face. Mm-hmm. Good try, casinos. Yes. So we are here to talk about some blackjack stuff. Um our last podcast was with the guy that was responsible for backing off. Um, advanced players at casino and people really loved that. And we don't have a cool guest like that um, for, for this one, but I think we have some interesting stuff to talk about. Um, I wanted to start off with, there's this article I read, Arnold Snyder mentions it in his uh, book, Radical Blackjack that came out a few months ago. And he's got all sorts of links to, to content from over the years. And one of them is this interview with a guy that was w- with Ed Thorpe Ed Thorpe is the the, fir- the first guy to write about card counting. And this guy was with Ed Thorpe when he was trying it out in Vegas. Did you read this article? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it just kind of like spurred all these thoughts for me that I thought would be be fun to talk about. So, so the backstory is Ed Thorpe, you know, figures out card counting and he wants to verify it. And he actually gets someone to bank him. And uh, they they have a twenty thousand dollar bankroll, and then he brings these two guys with him to Vegas to try it all out. And the first thing that stood out to me was this twenty k bankroll, because this is in the sixties. And you know, one of the things that people say is like, "Oh, with with you know, back in the good old days, you know, you didn't need the huge bankroll requirement." But twenty k is the modern equivalent of a hundred thousand dollars. Does that mean they needed 20K? No, but um, it's not like they were going in there with with $100 and just printing money. Uh, what, what kind of bankroll did you start with? Uh, first five and then restarted with about 10. Okay, yeah. Not to $5, <laughs> 10,000. <laughs> 10, 
And, and what happened with that first first five for uh, lost it fairly quickly. Yeah. Um okay. and why why was that? Uh, I was betting two by five hundred with a five thousand dollar bankroll because of some documentaries I saw. People betting <laughs> two right. by five hundred. And that's I thought right. that's just what you do. If the people in Holy Rollers are are betting two by five hundred, <laughs> yeah. then then that's what you do. Yeah. So you essentially had five top bets uh, for your bankroll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now that I yeah, now that you put it that way, a little risky. <laughs> a little I, and, yeah, I've and, I've had and, shoes where or I've I've had rounds where I've lost that many top bets. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was like, well, I have a replenishable bet replenishable bankroll and I'm just gonna see how it goes. No, it wasn't anything like that. I didn't have that information or I didn't study that information enough. It was more just like I'm I should be good with this. Like yeah. High count, true four, five, six. I mean, I'm gonna win more than half of those, so it should be fine. <laughs> yeah, more didn't than, more than half. But then there's yeah. this little thing called variance. Um, yeah. So, I guess I don't know. What stood out to me is that it really isn't that different. You know, they they probably could have gotten by with a one thousand dollar bankroll, which would have been the equivalent of a five thousand dollar bankroll today, but. They would have had to bet really small. The risk would have been high. Um, you know, uh, to if you want to really have a good shot, you need more bets than that. And these guys wanted to really prove it. And so, yeah, if, if someone was trying to prove card counting today that it was like, you know, you could generate good EV, you'd probably want a hundred k bankroll to prove that. Do you need a hundred k? No, but I just thought that was interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, think about the confidence that was required to just plop down 100k on this experiment where no one has done it yet it's just like whoa yeah like that's kind of a i mean how many of us would just throw in a hundred thousand together to just try something that no one's done before totally that's pretty cool that they had the the cojones to yeah yeah like put together the equivalent of 100k to to right yeah for something with such a small edge too it's not like they went into it like yeah we got a 50 percent edge on this let's just go for it like this was still you know, one to three percent edge, like so. Yeah, they, and they they had no uh, betting software, but yeah. they they still somehow you know figured out. I'm sure they knew their edge, uh, which you know that kind of brings me to to another thing that stood out to me. You know, I I actually was talking with a guy. Uh, he's a BJA member, but he was counting cards in the in the 70s, and he was saying, "Oh well, back then I had a four percent edge," and I'm thinking like, "Oh, that's." <laughs> That's incredible, you know, uh, a four percent edge. But um, you know, back then they didn't. It's it's a four percent edge in theory. It's not a four percent edge in in reality for a few reasons we'll get into. But one is the game wasn't proven. You know, uh, they didn't they didn't have um, you know well known indices or or ways to calculate their risk, um, and so. A four percent edge, best case scenario. Uh, there's no training software or anything like that. Um, but then I, I wanted to talk a bit about the cheating. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, th- so I mentioned that they had three people at Thorpe and two other guys, and one of the guys was there full time just to watch the dealer to see if they were cheating. Uh, do you, when you go out and play blackjack, do you have someone with you that is trained specifically <laughs> to spot cheating? I wish I did, <laughs> or at least someone there to to throw off some heat or anything like that. But yeah, no, I never worry about cheating in this in you know 
in this modern day, you know, even at pitch games or anything like that. Yeah, there, there's every once in a while a discussion where people are wondering if they're being cheated. You know, to be honest, I don't think I've ever worried about it. I don't think I've ever been cheated. But in this article, we'll put the link in the show notes or something. But in this article, it's pretty much every casino that they start mm-hmm. playing. And then either the dealer is doing like the Texas two-step or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Dealing, dealing from the bottom of the deck, or they have a guy that like sits at the table to like somehow collude with the dealer to cheat the other players. It's mm-hmm. it's absolutely crazy, and so this four percent edge is actually negative EV at most tables because they're getting cheated, and that that I don't know that stood out to me because I think I've it's easy to dream about these single deck games that were so beatable back then, but. Uh, it wasn't as beatable as, you know, maybe we think it was. Yeah. And it, well, it's just crazy because it's like, think about some of these techniques that they were using. It just seems like it would take so many hours of practice to pull it off for the, the cheating dealer. And yeah. it's like, are these dealers, like, where are these dealers practicing this? Like, are they just at home, like practicing all these, like, because Arnold Snyder listed off, like, wasn't it like 10 different ways of cheating or something like that? Uh, or five major ways of just something, but it just the mechanic work would, yeah, they would have to spend a significant amount of time crafting this skill of cheating. Yeah, there, it's just there's, interesting. <laughs> there's uh, that guy, Jason England, he he did a demonstration at, at a, a boot camp, it was like the 10 year anniversary party mm-hmm. that we that we had. And before that, he had had me over to his house and showed me, you know, all these cheating techniques. And I was asking him, how long does it take? Like, he told me he was going to deal seconds and I still didn't see it when he was doing it. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, how, how long does this take? He's like, well, 200 hours to do it poorly, but the guys wow. that can do it well, it's, like, that's incredible that someone would spend, you know, whatever, four or 500 hours perfecting, dealing seconds. Um, but I think it was more that casinos maybe had a guy that could do this when, you know, mm, they, right. when Necessary. they were someone that they wanted to, yeah, someone they wanted to cheat. They'd, they'd pull in that guy. But there were some sloppy ones. Like they told the story of a dealer. They saw him arranging the, the cards on his way to the table. So he shows up with a deck of cards that he's already arranged that's like every other card is going to be, you know, a high card. So he can cho- choose you know, whether he takes the card or not. Um, But some of it was super sloppy, but regardless, like they basically had to leave Vegas because they couldn't find an honest game. So (laughs) when, when we're complaining about card counting in 2021, uh, at least we're not worried about every dealer, you know, being a mechanic cheating us, um, which brings me to the next point. We also don't have to worry about getting beaten up. Um, back then, like there was no legal precedent of if card counting was legal or not legal. And these guys legitimately had to worry about this stuff, which yeah. is, is pretty mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know a guy who was playing in those days and yeah, it was just like a regular thing. Like where you like his friend would get thrown down the stairs or like, you know, just crazy stuff that would never, Oh, if it did happen today, I mean, you would get probably a million dollar settlement or something or more out of that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know anyone that's been thrown down, down the stairs or, or anything like that, but I do know people, if they're even just like detained against their will, 
it's a it's a serious lawsuit. So another another reason why I'm not dreaming of you know card counting in the early mm-hmm. days. And this this BJ member that I talked to, that was coming back then, he was like, yeah, you know, I I made good money, um, but then I was backed off everywhere in Vegas, and so I had to retire from card counting. Uh, so yeah. you know, it's I I'm not trying to say it's you know perfect today. It's hard. Like it's it's hard work and and. You know, if you burn out your local casinos, then you got to travel or whatever. But it was interesting reading this and just seeing how um, it wasn't all, you know, rosy and rainbows back then. It also reminded me of uh, Tommy Highland talking about card counting in Atlantic City um, <laughs> when they were first doing it. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we'd we'd get backed off. We'd go back. We'd get trespassed. We'd go back. We'd spend the night in jail, and it's like, wait, what? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, they'd arrest us, but we, you know, so we just spend the night in jail, and then we go back, and you know, it would happen again. Like a regular part of the job yeah. was because they only had so many casinos on the East Coast, they just go back and get arrested for trespassing and go back into it over and over again. Um, but you know, now we we just have other casinos to go to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what was so cool about that that team spirit back then was just like, Hey, we know what you guys are doing is wrong. Like we have the right to play and we're going to do it. And they just kind of just forced themselves into playing as much as they wanted to. And then the law got changed eventually. So it's just like, wow. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. That they yeah. stuck to that. But also another point was imagine, you know, at the, where it was only like Vegas and Atlantic city to play. Imagine if you started your career and you started off how some of us do, where we start off on a losing streak. And then you end up your toast in the town, <laughs> like the two places yeah. to play. And it's like, oh, that's right. You're you're just you're just done. Um, Never have time with, to get it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was interesting hearing some of the some of the numbers too. You know, they're playing one dollar tables, um, which is kind of the modern equivalent of <laughs> probably a, t- a ten dollar table or, or whatever. Um, but you know, they're talking. <laughs> they're talking about these like very feel like really small swings, but it's, it's not really the same today, but you you did a really interesting thing. I don't know if people can see it, but you converted their entire trip because they share all the numbers. You converted it to a chart. You want to share, share about that? Yeah. It's uh, just, I just did the modern day equivalent of the swings that they had on this one trip and looking at the ups and downs of it. I mean, first they kind of go, you know, it's your standard ups and downs, but they're going a pretty high, you know, a high, um, like winning streak for a while. And then it just plummets down towards the last tail end of the trip back down to probably what looks like most likely their actual EV they earned for the hours they played. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. When so you, I don't know. I, it I looks to, normal to me. <laughs> when you factor in all the cheating, you know, <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. probably was, was their EV. Um, right. And there'd be pit bosses that are freaking out because they're up 180 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it looks like, so it looks like they got up to about around 45,000 or so they won. And then a by modern, the end of the trip, modern day, yeah, money. modern day equivalent. And then by the end of the trip, they left with like 7,000 or so in profit or a little bit less. But yeah, well, they, they should have yeah. quit when they were up 45,000. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm joking. 
for those who don't know. I'm joking. You, uh, they kept generating EV. They did the right thing. Um, hey, think about that, though. If you did take that gambler advice of like, why don't you quit when you're ahead 45000 And Ed Thorpe, hey, quit while you're yeah. ahead. He quits while he's ahead 45000 He never goes on to make billions of stock markets. That's That's true. Yeah, you know the, the way he approaches... He says like what he... Uh, the way he approached, you know, the hedge funds he ran were lessons he learned from card counting, which is is pretty cool. Um, I think the the last thing that stood out to me is they tell this story about the El Cortez, and it's just like, holy crap, this place is old. Um, you know, like a sweatshop for and it's never changed. Years. So yeah, if you want to uh, get backed off where Ed Thorpe played um you can go there and play for five minutes and get backed off from where yeah. thorpe has played yeah um some other interesting things about the article was like how um snyder talked about the gaming commission they were like the adding the four six and eight deck shoes i thought was always only because like to increase the casino's profit and also increase or decrease the player's edge but he said that a lot of it was to prevent dealers from cheating so much because that started to become a problem that the gaming commission had to keep coming in and investigate all these cheating dealers so then they added the multiple the six and eight deck games partially and it sounded like his opinion was a majority of the reason was for that reason was to prevent the cheating yeah that i mean that's really fascinating they they couldn't uh control the order of the cards out of it dealing out of a shoe yeah. and so maybe you know there's some reasons we should be thankful. Um, I don't know if the and cheating would still be as rampant, but that's really interesting. Something that was weird was like, if they're cheating all these like players betting huge, like, but were they just cheating? Were the dealers just cheating the non-tipping players? Like, why would you want to screw over someone who's tipping you a lot, you know, like a big gambler or, so, or something? Yeah. I, I wonder how that worked. Did they did they share the money with with the mechanic? You know, like hey, yeah, you're gonna get a raise. Like, you're gonna get a raise. Um, but you know, I I don't. I guess the casinos they were casinos are still short short sighted. But I imagine they were just short sighted and they're not thinking about hey this this gambler they could be a long term customer. It's just like how do we rip literally rip them off as quickly as possible? And you know that's still Vegas, not not literally cheating people. But I think they're doing the same thing with these crappy games. You know, the the strip the the rules on the strip have gotten so bad, um, and I think it's for the same reason. It's like we don't want a long term customer. We just want to, you know, get as much money out of someone as quickly as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's it's similarly probably costing them long term profits, or that, at least that's what Andy Yule would say. Yeah, and this is like also like sort of that mob run mentality where it's like they don't have like the business savvy or the foresight now where all these corporations running casinos where they're like no we have to for the high roller players we have to decrease the edge a little bit so they'll continue to stay and want to stay and keep coming back if you just rip off you know a big high roller i mean why is yeah. he going to want to come back to you over and over again like thinking long term is not a mob run casino mentality <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the best things a casino can do for a big, you know, a whale is have the, let them win. You know, mm -hmm. not like if if someone wins a large amount, that's that's dopamine that's going to get them to keep coming back. Yeah, um, 
And I think they exactly. get it most of the time, but man, I've heard a lot of stories recently of uh, just like, I, I got a, a message from a guy and he's like, hey, uh, I want to work with you. I, I sent this to you, uh, <laughs> Joe748. But this guy's like, I want to work with you. I don't count cards, but I do pretty well. It, he's like, but I keep getting kicked out. And I was like, wait, you're not you know, using any form of advantage play? He's like, no, I just do well. And then I get kicked out. And I'm like, these casinos are so dumb yeah. that they're throwing this guy out. Uh, they'll get their money back. If they if they just welcome him back with open arms, but they, there's still some of that old school mentality of of uh, throw someone out if they're winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. It's like when the casinos suspect something is going on, they think that the player is just going to have a hundred percent edge for hours and hours. Yep. It's like no, it doesn't really work that way. Like, <laughs> yeah, they they need a little better a little better training, uh, but it's not going to come from us because we're. <laughs> uh, we're here to help you guys, the the uh, advantage player. So I I thought the article was interesting. Um, I don't know if you found it as interesting as I did, Joe Seven Four Eight. Yeah, I mean, it was just it's made me thankful that we don't have that cheating going on anymore. Seriously, I mean that would be that would be the majority of the trick. It's like okay, learn card counting. Okay, now spend as much time or more learning how to spot a cheating dealer. Like, that sounds sounds miserable. Um, yeah. But w- I also wanted to get to on this podcast just uh, some things that I've been thinking about over the last few months that I've actually learned from Blackjack Apprenticeship, uh, from from the members. Um, you know, I I'm thankful that I get to teach people the things that I've learned from uh, you know my time as a card counter. But I want to be a continual learner. And there, there's some things that I think everybody could learn from that I want to share that I've learned over the years, starting with killing the inner ploppy. Do you know uh, who I heard this phrase from? Can you guess? Um, hmm. Sounds like maybe a grease monkey. Oh, no, that's a good guess. But no, actually, Sassy Red. Oh, okay, cool. So she started out as a gambler and and you started you played blackjack before you were an ap right yeah do you remember having like ploppy logic um let's see i no no actually i didn't (laughs) i i came into it very well knowing i had no clue what i was doing and the most of it was just listening to my friend who knew a little bit more about basic strategy than i did and just sticking to that and not I didn't retain, I didn't like go on a hunt or anything. I just, what am I supposed to do in this situation? What do I do in this? Like I was, you know. What was he advising you? Like when, when you need to, you know, take the dealer's card or if you screwed up and, and took the dealer's card or anything like that, like Um, any of the ploppy things. No, luckily no, he wasn't too much. He was just like, no, you're supposed to split that. And it's like, yeah, you're still supposed to do that. Like regardless of the loss, but so when you started, you know, going down the card counting path, was there a lot of um, hmm. a, a lot you had to kind of think through or change in your thinking, or was it like, oh, I know I was just like um, trying to play blackjack well before, but now I'm just I'm going to do it this way. You, there wasn't a lot of inner ter- turmoil or anything of of killing the inner ploppy, so to speak. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why it it worked for me a lot like starting off because it just 
I was just like, you know what? I'm not smarter than the computer and these guys who created the system. And I'm not going to like, just come up with my own stuff. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think at the beginning I was like, the only thing I, I was questioning was like, why did I lose my bankroll uh, <laughs> at the beginning when I had a true four five or six and I was betting these bets? Like that was the only thing I was wondering about, but yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that propensity to like sneak in an extra, I don't know. Yeah. Like bet when I wasn't supposed to or anything like that. Yeah. I, so this idea of killing the air ploppy, it, it was really interesting to me. I, had never even been into a casino until, you know, I'd read a uh, professional blackjack and spent some time practicing. And so I didn't have any bad habits, but um, what Sassy Red talks about killing the air ploppy. I think that this applies to quite a few um, people that get into card counting because they start out as just, just gamblers and the, the shift can be really, I think, jarring, um, you know, mm-hmm. to say I have to play the certain way or, I have to sit out certain times um, mm-hmm. or I have to push these bets out, even though I just lost the last five hands in a row um, or, or the pressure from the dealer or the other players at the table. Like there's a million things that when you're a gambler, you, you don't have to do and you actually get positive reinforcement for <laughs> playing, playing poorly or acting, you know, like a ploppy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you have to get, get over that stuff. And uh, I I think that that's something now hearing it enough, I, I can understand like, okay, so for some people, the first step to becoming a card counter is like putting to death the, the old way of thinking and doing things. And that's e- maybe easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, and since we're only winning 51, you know, percent of the time, basically it's, I could see how you could come up with so many theories, everything including you know, like cheating or whatever, you'd be like, well, what this is happening or like, you know, with the swings that come with this game, it's such a small edge. I can, I can totally see how you can create your own stories, like trying to figure out your chart and what's, what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this. I can see it on people's faces at a boot camp, like the inner turmoil when I'm telling them that they have to act a different way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, this, this guy gambles, you know, it's like what I'm yeah. thinking. Okay. This, this person has uh, a, a history of, of, you know, being a ploppy and they're having inner t- turmoil in that it's not just like, Oh, how do I make money while being a, a ploppy? It's like, Oh, I have to put to death ploppy ways to, yeah. to have this work. And, and it could be really, I think, uncomfortable for people, but you got to do it. So thank you, Sassy Red for uh, teaching me about killing the inner ploppy. So the next thing I wanted to share, uh, do, do you know, well, the next thing I want to share is, is the variance monster. Do you know who quoted the variance monster? <laughs> I'm just going to guess on all these and then get it wrong every single time. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to say SD1. <laughs> oh, good guess. Um, I, th- I thought you were going to guess Grease Monkey on all of them. <laughs> so this idea came from Snarky Sparky. And um, he, if, if you're a member, you got to read this forum thread. It's in our best discussions um, thread on the forum. But he kind of explains mathematically um, and, you know, very clearly just how great the how great variants can be, both positive and negative. And 
you know, you'd think, oh, Colin, you you played, you know, I've played thousands of hours of blackjack. I've run teams responsible for tens of thousands of hours of blackjack. So you would think that I would get it. But when you're just living it, you're not really, you know, you still expect <laughs> variance to not be so large. Um, you know, we, we talk about N0 and, and the reality is after N0 number of hours, let's say it's, you know, 200 hours, there's still, um, you know, was it one in six card counters uh, is still going to be in the negative. And that sounds awful, but that's just the how much variance is in the game. But the flip side is one in six card counters is going to be more than one standard deviation above EV. Um, it, there's just crazy winning streaks, crazy losing streaks. Do you know anything about variance, Joe? Some for you? Yeah, and I think it's a lot of it is just how your brain chooses to hang on to the losing that those yeah. losing streaks more than the winning ones. And I just remember um, you kind of starting off early and I was betting like two by 400 or two by 500 or something, and you know, like losing for like 200 hours and then getting it back. And then it just like for the next, you know, a hundred hours or so, or 150 hours, it was just, I won just so much. And it was just, it just felt like I could, I was waiting at any moment. I was like, when is it going to start going down again for another hundred mm-hmm. hours or so? And it just never happened. It just kept going up and up. And it was just like an amazing a streak. It just felt like I, you know, every session, it just saw it was like a, a great session. I mean, it, it came to an end eventually, but it lasted a lot longer than I thought it was because I was just so used to the losing side of it and not remembering all those times I once, you know, yeah. um, was having those winning streaks. So, it, yeah. There, there's something about card counting that, you know, a, a gambler expects, yeah, the house has the edge. I mean, unless you're a total idiot, you understand the house has the edge. And so when you win, it's thrilling. You're overcoming the odds. Then when you lose, it's disappointing, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, well, uh, for a card counter, there's this weird thing where we know we have the edge, so we expect to win. So when you're winning, um, I mean, I went on a, a winning streak that was just insane. Um, probably a year into my career, career maybe a little less than a year. Um, I, I mean, I had losing sessions, but I'm sure I was way above EV. But you know, it it wasn't so. It wasn't like incredibly thrilling. It was like, oh, hey, I'm winning. This feels good. But then losing is just soul crushing because like I have the edge how could I lose um but uh that's I guess for me why why it was helpful you know yeah I knew there's variance in this game and I I think in one sense we always expected it but um to kind of see it explained well is is I mean it's it's imperative to not just constantly be uh shocked by by this game yeah. And then if you're doing it for, uh, you know, for work or it's your income, it feels like when you're losing, it's like, oh, you're taking my paycheck away from me. And like, you're taking yeah. my income away. It's like, why is this happening? And, and then when you win, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, this is my income. This is what I deserve. This is what, you know, I'm working for. So yeah, it's not that same. It's a different kind of thrill versus yeah. if you're just a floppy playing and you're winning versus yeah. Doing it for a living. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I've done it for a living, both playing and, you know, running a team. I only got paid when, when we won, but, um, I still think even if you're doing it for a living, I still think that 
considering it investing is the best way to think about it. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not I'm not working a job right now because I'm investing full time. Um, I think that's helpful because with investments, you know, any investment is completely uh, unsure in the short term. If someone says it's a sure investment, well, then I wouldn't trust them. <laughs> I would run from that investment. But you know, if you're investing full time, it's like, yeah, there's going to be swings, but I'm going to see this through um, because I believe it's a better use of my time. Um, but yeah, when you, it's like, oh, this is my job, you expect a paycheck. And there's no, you know, it's a completely um, random uh, timeline for when, when you're going to get paid doing this. Mm-hmm. There are forms of advantage play that have less variance, but they all do. Like I, I remember JC note talking about hole carding. It's like, I've got a 14% edge. How could I, how could, you know, the dealer keep me yeah. in their hand when, when I know both of their cards. Um, but you know, the, right. all of them have some variance and, and, you know, there's, there's forms of advantage play with, with more variance than, than card counting. Absolutely. Like there are a lot of poker pros that have losing years. regularly. <laughs> Poker's um, brutal, yeah. Uh, but you know, it, at least know what you're sign, signing up for. If uh, yeah, so, so thanks, Snarky Smarky. The third thing I want to talk with Joe Seven Four Eight about that I that I've learned from BJ members over the years is that it's still possible to take a hundred thousand from a single casino. Mm-hmm. So people they, they're always asking you know questions like this. Oh, can you still you know make a million dollars? Can you still beat one casino for a hundred thousand? And if you would have asked me either of those questions five years ago, I'd say, no, it's, it's not possible anymore. But right. uh, over the last five years, you know, I've met card counters that have done both of these things, you know, uh, taking a million dollars from casinos and taking single casino. I mean, multiple people that I know have done this. Um, and to me, that's, it's showing people are, are still, you know, uh, with this job, you have to have a level of optimism that you're going to try it. Um, you, you don't want to have your head in the clouds, but a level of optimism to say, who knows if it's possible, let's find out. Um, do you, can you think of anybody that's done this, taking a single casino f- for a hundred K or more? Well, yeah. And the, and the people I've heard recently who have done it, they weren't, the thing that's um, stood out to me was they weren't betting huge. Like some of them weren't betting. Like I was betting most two by 1000 or more than that, like two by 1500. Like they weren't betting that much. Like they were betting, you know, two by 300 or two by 400. And they were still able to accomplish that, which is super cool. Um, But maybe that's why they were able to accomplish it as well. Maybe they wouldn't have been able to sneak in the hours over a long period of time, like with um, two by 1000, you know, like maybe they would have been seen too early or or whatever, but. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about my own career and um, you know, I've, I've said before, I was incredibly lucky to be in Washington state at the time that I was, there's a ton of casinos. Um, and some of them were just not, not very smart. Washington state's still, uh, not bad for card counting, but my, my point is, I don't think we were very, um, thoughtful. We just went in and we counted and whatever happened, happened. I think some of the people that, that are having this kind of success, I'm not talking about someone that just is like, over betting and gets lucky and is up hundred K I'm talking about someone that, uh-huh. that strategically beats a casino. They're, they're being thoughtful about it. Like you said, they, they have a, a well considered approach. Um, yeah. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about JC rocks one, one, one. He shared that on a podcast 
Um, mm-hmm. And and you're right, he wasn't betting huge, but he had a well thought out plan of attack. And you know, he could have gotten backed off the first weekend, but he didn't, and he kept going. Um, I don't want to share your stories. Did, did you guys beat beat that that one casino for a hundred k? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was. But yeah, it was multiple people um, yeah. doing it, but it was done in such a quick amount of time. It was like three weeks. But there yeah. was another place that was it was just me, and I was able to do for almost about about ninety thousand from one place. Okay. But that was in about a month or so. Yeah. Um, so as well, yeah. and and there, there's other people too that have done. Now, the, here's here's I guess the caveat I'll, I'll say is um, you know the people we interview, I try to you know share interesting stories, but. I think that sometimes it can get the rap of I'm portraying that everybody is going to be a million dollar card counter and everybody's going to beat a casino for a hundred K I've never beat a casino for a hundred K I've never beat a single. Oh, actually that's not true. No, I did. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about that. I did beat a local <laughs> casino for 150 K. Um, so you don't course, even remember yeah. that's the card counter. It is. It's, it's a card counting curse. It. Yeah. I do I do remember vividly um my biggest losses. Um, but okay, so I guess I have. But um, you know, I'm not saying everyone's gonna do this. It is rare. It's um, but I wouldn't have even thought it was possible if someone would would have asked me this a couple of years ago. Um, and so I don't know. I guess this stuff inspires me. Some of these podcasts or, or these stories, I'm not trying to say learn card counting and you're gonna do this uh, at all. I'm I'm just I get inspired by this stuff. I hear about someone, you know, having a great story and it's like, this is badass. I want to, I want to hear the story and I want to share it. Um, so your mileage may vary, I'll say. But yeah. Uh, and real quick also the people who have done this, I I've noticed they they still have the spirit and the energy to be like, I'm going to do this. Like I am going to try yeah. this and I'm going to keep doing it and keep showing up. And, and they're not afraid. Like the people who we don't hear from, are some of the people that when I talk to them before they start off, they're afraid of getting back to They're afraid of everything. Like really, they're really afraid of everything. So they just never try to, to see if they can take the hundred K out of their local place or whatever. Like, That's true. Yeah. Cut sessions like way too short. And some of these people had the strategy of, and you need to at your local cut them short, but not that short, like not to the, to the point where they're doing it and they're paranoid about everything. So yeah. These people all shared a similar spirit of I'm doing this. Like I'm going to really go for it. I was um, interviewed recently by Mike AP um, for, for his podcast and a little podcast crossover, I guess. Um, one of the questions that someone asked me is kind of like what personality seems to, you know, have success with this. And, and um, the way I thought about it, on the spot there was you have to have like, you can't be overly optimistic because there's a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, uh, M four eight or Yoshi, you know, uh, beat casinos for a million dollars. I'm going to learn card counting and be a millionaire next year. Like that person's not going to make it, but you do have to have a level of optimism. Like the pessimist also isn't going to make it. The person that's like you said, always afraid of the back off or, 
you know, afraid of losing or they, they go on a one session losing streak and they're like, Oh great. How long is it going to be till I'm ahead again? That there is something that the people that have success, um, I guess how, how you put it, that they, they have some sort of like optimism or, or drive to, to go for it. Um, the fire that, that mm-hmm. Loudon often talks about, there is this fire that, that you need. And if you lose that fire, you know, you can still count cards, but, but you're, you're probably not going to be a single casino for six figures. Good stuff. Let's move on to the, the next thing I've learned from BJ members, which is the variety of ways casinos can be beaten. And as I was thinking about this, I wanted to share, do you know my first um, advantage play thing outside of card counting I ever did in a casino? Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, is it uh dumpster for juices? <laughs> no, no. I mean, this is a casino advantage play, but it oh, okay. wasn't card, card counting. But yes, I did used to uh, uh, dumpster dive the, the naked juice factory uh, right, right next to the climbing gym we went to and, and get all their juices that they were uh, discarding that most of them hadn't even expired. So it wasn't gross, but it was awesome. Um, but no, the first thing I did at a casino that wasn't card counting that was advantage play i don't remember what was that it was halloween costumes oh nice (laughs) so me ben and a third friend halloween was coming up and all these casinos had prizes for the best costume (laughs) so we all came up with kind of like ridiculous costumes and split up going to different casinos and we we split the money we all won in a war (laughs) i think at Ben's casino, I think he got first place and it was like 500 or a thousand bucks. And I, I got second place. I felt like I got, I got, you know, uh, shafted because they gave first place to someone dressed as a clown and it wasn't even, what? Good, but it was like, what were you? I, I was a pinata. <laughs> so I had a giant box. Did you have casino oh. staff chase you with a baseball bat? And try to beat you? <laughs> Um, I had, I had candy literally like super glued pouring out of me. Um, it was, it was pretty good. And I think I made it for like 20 bucks. Um, maybe (laughs) probably less. Um, but they gave it to this clown that was like the casino local, you know, degenerate. Um, Mm. but, but still for second Mm. place, I won, I won like 250 bucks or something like that. And, um, but, uh, I guess my point is I was there, I was counting cards, but, um, gosh, we must've made, I don't know, over a hundred bucks an hour, um, just based off of our costumes. Um, so other than that, I've done a few other things. I've done a very small amount of hole carding, uh, beaten some casino promotions some things like that. But, um, you know, one of the things that's been fun to learn through blackjack apprenticeship is, um, like I said, the variety of ways um, I, we weren't so well networked, even running a million dollar blackjack team. Most of the people we knew were card counting and still most of the people I know making money are card counting, but it's been fun to learn people that have done, done it all like sequencing, shuffle tracking, um, uh, loss rebates. Oh, I guess we did a little bit of loss rebate stuff, but doing that on, on like serious scale, like very serious scale, um, you know, whole carding. Uh, beating casino promotions, beating machine. It, it's really cool to see the creativity um, that people have put into it. And, you know, I can teach this one thing. And in, in the process, I've learned people that have found, you know, 
it's probably not exaggerating to say dozens of ways to beat casinos. And they all have their pros and cons. That's something that's interesting when I like do some of these plays or hear about them. It's just, it's not like there's a one play that's like this magical. Well, maybe there is, but I mean, most of the time, like every play comes with its cons along with the, the benefits of it. So like hole carding, for example, like the edge is bigger, but the scouting time may be three to one or five to one hour wise. So you see the hourly and you're like, wow, hole carding is like way better than card counting because the hourly is like four times as much, but you're spending three to five times as many hours finding those games and, you know, things like that. So they're all, everything, every play has its benefits, advantages, disadvantages. Yeah. I've I've talked to hole carters that go on a trip and, they find nothing the whole trip, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it has its pros too. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, can you give a rough number of games you've beaten yeah. outside of traditional yeah. physical card, blackjack card counting? Maybe like seven different avenues. Yeah. Or so if I had to just off the top of my head. Yeah. And the the what you've made the most from is card counting. Is that is that true? Yes, it's still like ninety percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there are other people that you know. The ninety percent might be something not card counting, but it's I don't know. It, again, it's like the things that inspire inspire me um, is hearing you know these these creative stories. Um, you know, I get to live vicariously through hearing some of this stuff and um, the the creativity, the the thought. Um, I wish I could tell some of the stories, but I can't. But I remember, I remember sitting around a group of APs analyzing something, and I just was able to sit and watch. And it was like, I can't believe they're figuring out a way to beat this thing. Like, and, and I probably literally couldn't believe that they were going to, and they did. Like, they, you know, of course, not all things work out. Um, I've heard some fun stories of someone playing an opportunity and being down, like. Ten or twenty thousand dollars, and being like, "Oh no, actually, this isn't. Ooh. There's no, there's no edge here." Um, but, but also got to hear some really uh, fun stories. All right, which brings us to uh, the last thing that I wanted to share, which is that you don't need a team to beat blackjack or to to be an AP, but you do need a network. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe, how much team play have you done over the years? Mm. Not very much, actually. Like where it's multiple people, we're all on the same table, or or that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, not not very much. And how much of it has like even just have you been um, played? Your play has been while part of a team. Um, yeah, I mean, only a handful of times. Yeah, I mean, the majority of it has been solo play or bankrolling other players, but that's not exactly team when it's separate yeah. sort of still. So, yeah, I'd say uh, probably ninety nine percent of my play has been as part of a team, just because that's you know the the path I ended up on. And when we started blackjack apprenticeship, like, yeah, I, I knew solo card counters, I knew you could do it, but um, there's always this question of like, well, do I need to be on a team? And I thought, no, you don't really need to. Um, at this point, I'd say you really don't need to. Most people I know that are APs, um, most aren't on a team. But the one thing that I have learned that I really feel like I undervalued is is that the successful APs do have a network. Um, 
I don't know if if you mm-hmm. have anything to elaborate on there. Yeah, and it's yeah because well, let's say like you don't have a network and you just try to go for it alone. You know, I feel you're going to get burnt out emotionally by being alone and 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 trying to tackle you know this whole thing completely without anyone's help. Um, like it's it's just so important. There's just like little bits of information that are just so crucial to help you pull something off or uh, um, finding a location to go to that is, you know, a really good opportunity or um, where you're going to get a lot of mileage or, or just even like um, when, you know, AP things do get, someone has an idea to try to pull something off and they need some help or they need some extra hands and then, you know, getting called in to help out or vice versa. Like you find something and, you know, you do need some backup or, or some help. That's also another huge part of it too. Like some of these AP plays, it's like, you can't just pull it off to just one person. Like you need, you need others. Yeah. I mean, you know, casinos have gotten smarter, but the people I know that are successful at advantage play, they've gotten smarter too. And it's in a similar way. The the biggest way casinos have gotten smarter is their networks. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the way that I've seen APs get smarter is also their network, like knowing what casinos to avoid, knowing um, cash out limits, knowing which casinos subscribe to databases, things like that. Even just mm-hmm. small things, you know, just learning from other people. Um, and I was thinking, I was like, well, do you do you need a network? Um, there, I'm sure there's there's some AP listening to this. It's like I have zero network. Um, I, that's so maybe need isn't isn't the right word, but I was even thinking about like, well. I I consulted with this guy and he crushed a game and he didn't have any network at all. But I was like, actually, the reason he consulted with me is because he needed a network. Like he actually needed to consult with someone that knew some things mm-hmm. that he didn't. And if he hadn't consulted with me, um, his approach uh, was suspect uh, is, is how I'll put it. But, you know, I was able to help correct some things or, or give him the the information or the advice he needed um to pull it off and uh so i was i was his network and i just can't imagine um if i were gonna try to you know do anything more than like some casual card counting at at a local casino if i were interested in anything more than that i can't imagine doing it without uh having a support system uh having other ap's that that i could talk to learn from exchange ships with uh train with any number of things and uh, I think that I've learned a lot from the BJ community by seeing, you know, how how people approach this as opposed to um, the way that we did, which was kind of like just on our own. Yeah. I think our team was what kept us from, you know, kept us together or, or it was maybe in a sense our network. But I've shared this before. One of my biggest regrets is not networking more, not not in a self selfish way, but in a mutually beneficial way. Um Mm-hmm. So that's really why, you know, gosh, that's, that's, I think the value of our forum. That's why we built the chat room uh, software right, is, yeah. is, is to help with this, to help people in their region, you know, f- find out what casino to not play um, or, or any, any of the things that can come, find a training partner, any of those things. Yeah. I would love to see like in the chat, in the regional chat rooms, if, if you guys like, um, you know, are okay with it, just, you know, just doing a really simple like trip report of how your trip, like how many hours you got 
at this place or that place, like what the game was like, you know, or, or something that could have been avoided that would be helpful for the next person. Like that would be really great to share that information or even like, you know, Hey, I went to casino, you know, a, and I got backed off and then I went to casino B like an hour and a half away and they backed me off upon site. So then, you know, then the next person can avoid that hour and a half drive, you know, or whatever. So just stuff like that's really helpful. Um, and if you're saying, well, I'm not comfortable, I don't know everybody in that chat room, at least figure out who the people are that you are yeah. comfortable sharing that with and and help each other out with that. Maybe it's a group of three people in a region that are going to share uh, helpful info with each other or 10 people or whatever. Um, there's a BJ member that um, he's been a member for for a number of years. I didn't even know he was counting cards again because um, I think he took a break for a while. I don't want to say his name, but he, if if he's listening, I know uh, he knows I'm talking about him, but he reached out to me and asked me a question about a local casino. And I gave him the advice that I could, but I was like, dude, you got to join the, you know, the our region's chat room and he did and he just sent me a text last week that was like oh this is really great um you know thanks for doing this it's been helpful to him which is cool to see it's you know we didn't design it for people that are brand new to card gang we designed it for the people that are doing this to help uh help each other out so this isn't a pitch for the chat room but it is a pitch uh join the chat room and your your region's chat room and you know make more money or whatever it is mm-hmm. You have any other thoughts you want to share before we uh, end this podcast? Oh man, um, <laughs> no. You, do you have a favorite uh, a, fi- a favorite uh, AP play in a casino that doesn't involve uh, a casino game? Maybe it involves mm. a video game. Yeah, let me let me think on that one. Let's see here. Maybe it involves a Wii. Oh yes. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah, that's right. And I don't know how much of this was, you know, my skill level or it was just, (laughs) but I had a wee bowling tournament and I guess, you know what, I guess I will own up to this strategy was being able to play the wee wee bowling tournament at 10 AM with only against senior citizens. Cause that's the only people that were playing in the casino at that time. And I was able to win a bunch of free play because I beat everyone and I, I just don't think they're used to the technology. So yeah, that's it. That is an one way to beat the casinos as well. And that's, that's a way to get the advantage is, is know your, yeah. your competition, know your competition. Yeah. Know your, yeah. Know your competitor. And yeah. I remember talking to, I think this was JC note when he was first starting and he's trying to build a bankroll and he was saying, Oh yeah, the local casino does every hour they give, you know, like, I don't know, a hundred bucks or 200 bucks to they pick a random, you know, seat number. And I was like, dude, find out the hours of the day. The casino is the most empty. Bring your yeah. wife, bring a couple nice. friends, you know, bet table minimum and increase your odds of hitting it. You know, just think like an AP doesn't just have right. to be at, at the, uh, the blackjack table. So mm-hmm. don't play. We bowling against just some four, eight. Um, <laughs> And and if you're going to try to beat me with a Halloween costume, you better bring it. That's all I'm saying. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. Those that are still listening. And it's just seven for eight. Thanks for talking through this stuff. I hope you guys you. Uh, enjoyed this. And you can find out more about Blackjack Apprenticeship and our membership and all that stuff by visiting the website. Otherwise, we'll catch you on the next podcast. See you.